0: Hi there and thank you once again for tuning in to another edition of Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity. a look back at my career in the media and the celebs and interesting people that I've met, I've interviewed and all the exciting things I've done during that time. Now this week you'll once again be hearing from two musical greats. A two-part interview with Petula Clark and also a chat I had with the late Natalie Cole who sadly died in 2015. But first, Petula Clark, who has the distinction of having had one of the longest careers of any British singer spanning more than seven decades. Her professional career began during the Second World War as a child entertainer on BBC Radio. In 1954, she charted with The Little Shoemaker, the first of her big UK hits, and within two years, she began recording in French. In late 1964, her success extended to the United States with a four-year run of career-defining, often upbeat singles, many written or co-written by Tony Hatch and Jackie Trent, who both wrote so many great songs but will always be remembered for writing the iconic TV theme tune Neighbours. In the United States, Clark was sometimes called the first lady of the British invasion. She has sold more than 68 million records and has also enjoyed success in films such as Finian's Rainbow and Goodbye Mr. Chips and in the stage musicals The Sound of Music, Blood Brothers and Sunset Boulevard, also Mary Poppins. I had the great delight of interviewing her in 2007 when she was promoting a new album and tour. I'll play the first of the two-part chat with her now and the second part will follow Natalie Cole. But first, here is Petula Clark telling me about the first time she appeared on BBC Radio during World War Two.
1: The first radio thing I did was for BBC Forces uh, Network or whatever that that was called. Mm. Um, I think I was about eight, and then I went on from there. So, I think by the time I was ten, yes, I was something of a star. That's true.
0: Absolutely, you were referred to as the British uh, Shirley Temple. <laughs> Did did that, um, you know, did you sort of realise what that meant at that time?
1: Well, I knew who Shirley Temple was um, because she was like the big star at, at the time. But, uh, you know, I never had dimples for a start <laughs> and uh, I was too skinny. Um, no, it was a totally different kind of career. You know, I, I was, I suppose, the little girl star at the time, although there were a few other people around. There was Julie Andrews was around too. Mm. Uh, she was... She used to do the same sort of work as me, really. We used to travel around in troop trains and sleeping in luggage racks and singing for the forces all over all over Great Britain. Uh, we, we often talk about it. She remembers it very well.
0: Being so young, did you really understand what was going on in the world during that time?
1: I don't think so. I mean, we knew that the war had changed everything for us, but in general... Um, it, it it made life more exciting and and in some ways more fun. I mean, we we didn't get a direct hit, of course, but mm. uh, things were pre- pretty hot where we used to live, just outside London. Uh, but we weren't aware of the danger. I'm sure our parents did, but um, we we just it was kind of fun living in an air raid shelter.
0: You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. But being a star at such a young age, were there people around you to keep your feet on the ground?
1: Well, my dad certainly was. He was. Um, and very strict with me. He didn't want me to be a, a spoiled showbiz brat, you know. And uh, I think he did a pretty good job.
0: You've worked with some of the greats, not only in the music industry, but in film as well. People like, well, the list goes on and on and on, John Lennon, Tom Jones, Michael Jackson. Um, any memories of some of those people that you've worked with?
1: Tom, yes, I, I did work with uh, Tom. In fact, we were, I had thought at one point of having a duet with Tom on this... Uh, on this CD that's out, you know, something that I had already recorded with him. I did a whole show with him, and that was (laughs) interesting. (laughs) (laughs) uh, He's... um...
0: Did you fancy him? No. No not your type.
1: No, not really. No. I I I mean he was fun. I mean he's a Welshman too and I'm half Welsh and so we we had all that kind of connection and and a musical connection of course but no it, Tom was a bit too not I can't say obvious but you know he was <laughs> no, it's not my style let's put it that way.
0: All right. And you've also had the distinction of dancing with Fred Astaire.
1: Well, yes, you know, I was his last dancing partner on the big screen and um I, you know, I was terrified at the whole idea of dancing with Estelle, let's face it, you know oh, yeah. I'm a f- pretty, fairly good singer but I'm not much of a dancer and uh, anyway I, I rehearsed with his amazing choreographer Hermes Pan for about three weeks on this little, cute little dance you know, it's not exactly a huge dance routine um, but I was really scared and, and then the day came when I had to actually, you know, do this dance routine with Fred and he walked in and he was a lovely man, incidentally, and you know, very, very sweet, yeah, very yeah. unassuming. Um, and he just took me in his arms, put put the music on, and it was as if I had been born to dance. Then we had we had to go into the studio to record the song that we were actually doing together. We, it was our duet, and after the first take, he leapt in the air and and said. Oh my God, I sang with her, you know. <laughs> so you know, it, it works both ways. It's that's the funny thing about working with these amazing people. They, they seem to be just as excited about working with me, which never ceases to amaze me. You know, we 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 made Finian's Rainbow in Hollywood, and it was a particularly hot summer, and most. Of the the uh, filming was done out of doors on the back lot of Warner's, and uh, people were fainting left, right, and center. And so when the weekends came along, everybody kind of flopped into their swimming pools, you mm. know. And uh, Fred used to to spend the weekends in his dressing room um, re- rehearsing in in the dance studio because he was so such a perfectionist and so scared of not being perfect but yeah, that, that's yeah. that's what it was all about and he could never understand why people were sort of at his feet all the time you know saying you know you are the, the greatest he, that actually embarrassed him really mm-hmm.
0: and goodbye mr chips another important film for you
1: yeah well i went straight into uh, goodbye mr chips after Finian's rainbow somebody had seen some rushes of Finian's rainbow from mgm uh, films and they uh, asked me if i do goodbye mr chips and uh, Yeah, I was. I played Mrs. Chips opposite Peter O'Toole, and that was a different kind of experience. Um, It was the movie was made mostly in England at the MGM studios and uh, in Italy and uh, in Dorset. It was a very beautiful experience. Um, Perhaps not quite as joyous as Finian's Rainbow, but um, sort of different. I, I, you know, working with Peter was an education. It really was. I, I know, yes, all the stories about Peter. Yeah, there was a bit of that going on too, but that's fine, you know. Um, a bit it, of what? Well, you know, <laughs> in those days, Peter was, shall we say, partying quite a lot. <laughs> Partaking. Yes. And uh, my first one of my first experiences with Peter was, was in Ireland. I, I went over to... Um, do some makeup tests with him, and he was still finishing off uh, A Lion in Winter, I think. And uh, so he said, oh, Okay, well, we finished work. Let's go out, you know, let's go out and have some dinner. So I thought, Fine, you know, we'll have a bottle of wine, and that's okay. We did that, and then he said, Come on, let's have a few drinks. So we started having a few drinks and um, we did, I think, every pub in Dublin. And and by the time we'd finished with, there were 20 people trailing around with us, singing very loudly, may I say. Uh, And that was my first experience with Peter and it kind of went on from there.
0: Petula Clark. And the second part of that interview will be coming up after we hear the interview I had with another singing royalty, the late Natalie Cole, daughter, of course, of Nat King Cole. She rose to fame in the mid-70s as an R&B singer with hits such as This Will Be, Inseparable and Our Love. And in 1987, on the album Everlasting, her cover of Bruce Springsteen's Pink Cadillac was also a huge hit. In the 1990s, she had her biggest selling album, Unforgettable, with Love, and which sold over 7 million copies and won her seven Grammy Awards. She sold over 30 million records worldwide during her career. When we chatted, she was promoting her latest album, Ask a Woman Who Knows, which was a return to one of her biggest loves, jazz.
2: I don't think that anyone should put out albums a lot. You know, I think that the it takes a while for music to saturate these days so (laughs) you know i I like being able to wait uh a a year or two or or three if that's what it takes um but i think it just worked out that you know it it was a couple of years it's really the first um time in a long while since i've done a jazz album yeah yeah so that's really and with the you know what's what's with what's going on in the business and um... electra turned into went from you know being a kind of a consummate uh... boutique of different types of music to kind of hip-hop and so we were just kind of basically phased out it was just time to go and you know then you want to take your time and looking for the right place you know to Deposit yourself.
0: <laughs> <laughs> You've teamed up again with Tommy LaPuma. Mm-hmm. Um, he was obviously a big influence on you and uh, producer of this album. Mm-hmm. Is it is it good to work with somebody that you know and, and like?
2: Yeah, it's very important. Um, obviously, you know, personality compatibility is a factor, um, but also there's a trust, I mm. think, that uh, goes back and forth between an artist and a producer. Um, sometimes when you go in and you're not really sure just how you want to do something, um, or you have an idea that you want to try something a little different, and, you know, there's there's an issue of trust there, that uh, both of you feel capable to pull something off, so to speak, or that, you know, well, if we go down in flames, we'll go together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. But um, Tommy is one of the few... I think, producers um, who just has a great sense and a great knowledge of this kind of music, and yet he's still totally open. He's still got a very contemporary uh, mindset about him. He's not not open, you know, to trying different things. I mean, he's very flexible, and and I, I like that about him.
0: And jazz, is it your first love?
2: Well, it's probably one of my top loves. Mm. You know, I mean I still like rock and roll. <laughs> really? Yeah, I do. I really do. There's there's certain kind of groups I like, there's certain kinds of melodies and tunes that I really love through the and have loved through the years. Um, you know, I just get such a big thrill when I watch someone like Tina Turner or yeah. um you know a great rock band you know just i think the freedom is what i like so much in rock and i like that same kind of freedom with jazz i don't feel that same thing in pop mm. i think pop is very constructed and very predictable and even though it's a uh you know as far as ec- economics it's it seems to be a big thing um it It kind of c- continues to repeat itself for me in mm. many ways the just the whole format of pop is not as attractive to me as um being a little more freer in music, so I would say jazz, rock, um, you know even uh uh being able to work with different rhythms and things like that those are those are attractive to me,
0: yeah, when you were growing up, you must have been surrounded by all these famous singers um would you? I think it must have been just preordained for you to to go into that sort of industry.
2: Yeah, maybe it was. I don't know because I never really, it wasn't something that I yearned for or that I thought about a lot. I really had, you know, set my eyes on um, being in um, in the medical field. Really? Which is, yeah, which is so far away from from the musical field. Yeah, I, I'd gone to school to uh, become a psychologist, uh-huh. and that's what I had you know worked very hard for and then this just kind of popped up in my life and I looked at it as a hobby uh something that would be fun to do until I got ready to go to grad school mm. and I just never got to grad school and I didn't imagine that I could actually make a living
0: doing this. <laughs> but when did you when did you find out you you know you could make a living out of it?
2: Probably not till after my first record I just didn't believe it you know and I don't think totally, I was taking that seriously, mm. actually, um, until my first record. And with the hit that came off that record, record which was This Will Be, um, there was, you know, this, like this real buzz of being able to have a real career based on just that one record. And I thought that was amazing. I was actually amazed. It mm. just never occurred to me that I would... I didn't really look at it as following in my father's footsteps, even, because I was so far away from the kind of music that he was doing. But I think after that it became a um, a very uh, focused effort not to do what he did, because mm. it had been so hard getting to that first record. Um, And being, you know, the constant comparisons, and why aren't you doing your father's music, and da-da-da-da. So with that first album, which was an R&B album, you know, I was determined to stay away from jazz or, you know, uh, anything that would compare me to my dad. What ended up happening was my second record had a jazz song on it, which was a Billie Holiday tune. Um, So it's just always been kind of a shadow you know that yeah. I didn't really know was there
0: would he have uh, preferred you to go into the medical field or I'm I'm sure you know he was, he was very proud of your success but mm-hmm. in the early days would he have preferred you to take up that career in, in medicine
2: I don't know I really don't know it's hard to say I kind of feel like he would be extremely thrilled to know that I actually did follow in his footsteps mm-hmm. um you know i was a bit of a ham when i was growing up i was always very outgoing and 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 i seemed to have this this gift for music quite naturally mm. and i uh, loved being on the road with him whenever i had a chance and um, and loved being around the musicians that he you know hung with or some of the singers that you know that i would call Auntie and, mm. and you know, Auntie Ella or Aunt Peggy or, <laughs> you know, I mean, just outrageous things that, you know, uh, were so wonderful, what a privilege, and I just seemed to take to that arena and that environment very easily. Um, and he said something to a friend of his um, when I was very young about, she's got it. Yeah. And he didn't mean she's got the ability to be a doctor. I think he meant yeah. she's got that, What, whatever that's going to take to make her a star.
0: Well, I just wanted to ask you, what emotions do you have when you hear your father sing?
2: Oh, it's great pleasure now. Great pleasure. And at the same, I think that sometimes it's a bittersweet that he's not here. Mm. Um, now my father would probably be like, oh gosh, 84 83 something something like that but I think earlier on especially when the unforgettable album came out yeah and it did so incredibly well um, I wished so hard that he could have been there you know physically mm. to see just all the accolades that were really given to him because of me and I thought what a blessing it was to have been able to be put in that position to I mean he was already legendary in legendary status but to bring attention again to um, his craft, his talent, and just um, the way that he could make a song just so wonderful um, you know to bring that attention again through his daughter was really quite quite an honor absolutely for me. Na-
0: Natalie, thank you very much. you new album ask a woman who knows we've got a love song of the day that we play each day on the program if i was to ask you to choose one record one track from your new album to play which one would it be
2: mm. oh let's see i guess uh tell me all about it very sexy romantic very nice
0: Natalie cole thank you very much thanks Simon. Natalie Cole. She announced in 2008 that she'd been diagnosed with hepatitis C. Four months after starting treatment, she suffered kidney failure and required dialysis three times a week for nine months. Following her appeal for a kidney on The Larry King Show, she received a transplant in 2009. Cole cancelled several events in December 2015 due to illness. Her last musical performance was a short set of three songs in Manila. She died in Los Angeles on December thirty-first, 2015, at the age of just 65. Her family said in a statement, Natalie fought a fierce, courageous battle, dying how she lived, with dignity, strength and honour. Our beloved mother and sister will be greatly missed and remains unforgettable in our hearts forever. Cole's funeral was held on January the eleventh, twenty sixteen, at the West Angeles Church of God in Christ in Los Angeles. And just listen to some of the people that turned up at the funeral. It really did demonstrate the admiration that many in the music business had for her. The likes of Stevie Wonder, Smokey Robinson, Lionel Richie, Chucka Carr, Mary Wilson, Gladys Knight, Jesse Jackson, and Frieda Payne were among the mourners at her funeral. Now back to Petula Clark. In the second part of our chat, she tells me about how her long association with France actually started.
1: Well, it, it, it started as a love affair with a Frenchman. It, it was nothing to do with France. I, I went to Paris to do a one-night stand. It was it was a show for a, a radio station called Europe Number no. 1, which was like the radio station at the time. And it was in the olympia theater which is a bit like the london palladium you know so it was a big show um i i sang i think very badly i had a terrible cold and i was reluctant i didn't even want to be there you yeah. know i i couldn't speak a word of french I, I sang in english but the next day um the boss of the radio uh no the this time it was the record company that's mm. right um was trying to convince me that it was a good idea for me to record in French and I was saying, no, I don't want to... You know, I've got a bad cold, I want to go home, don't talk to me about recording in French, I don't want, don't want to know, you know. And the light went out in his office and he said something in French and this person came in, stood on the desk and changed the the bulb and the light went on and it was Claude. And I looked at this guy and I thought, hmm, he's cute. <laughs> and, and, and the boss said, well if you record in french claude will be taking you around the different uh, radio stations in paris and uh, you know just taking care of you in general you know mm. so i thought mm-hmm. <laughs> 3 weeks later i was back with my first french recording which was very bad because it was all done phonetically but that's the reason why i did it i wanted to be with claude and it just went on from there you know it was it, the whole thing was just an accident really mm. it it is an amazingly beautiful uh, country i mean it's got the mediterranean the atlantic it's got the alps it's it's got the, those lovely rolling hills you know with the vineyards it's it is aesthetically very beautiful not all the women are chic by the way no um, <laughs> and not all the men are well i can't say the great lovers because <laughs> how would i know <laughs> but um no it, it it is an amazing country and i've grown to love it and and understand it and, and speak the language of course which helps but you know i do spend a lot of time in in, in paris because i have one daughter who still lives there um i have another daughter who lives in new york and our main residence is in Geneva. Wow. And we have a chalet in the French Alps, and I don't get there very often. Um, but that is a place that I do love to go to. It's, uh, it's a bit of a haven.
0: You've got this new album out at the moment, Petula Clark, the ultimate collection. It really is an ultimate collection as well. Two CDs. Of course, disc one starts, well, it couldn't have started with anything else, but downtown.
1: Yeah, the, the the whole of that first side is 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 devoted, I suppose, to um, to to those hits. You know, all the '60s hits, and it goes back to Sailor and, and a few other things, Romeo. Uh, but the second side is is the one I like. Oh right. <laughs> no, I mean, it's not that I don't like those songs. It's just that I know them and and yeah. sung them many times, and I actually love them. But the other side is is newer, fresher for me, and and some of them are not. Actually, new songs, uh, but there's they're recordings that we haven't heard for a long, long time or haven't heard at all in some cases. Yeah. You know, the things that I recorded a few years back and were just hidden away somewhere for some reason, and then we've put them out, and there are some new recordings which I, I really love.
0: But in concert, it must be so. How do you go about choosing your set for a concert? Because you've got so much material to choose from.
1: Yes, well, this particular tour coming up, um I, I will be basing the act on this CD. Right. I I won't be doing everything that's no. on the CD, but um and I'll be doing other things like poetry, um <laughs> songs that are have a I don't know, it it's going to be a mixed bag. Let's put it that way. Mm. I haven't quite got it together yet, but it it's it will be fun for me you know if the show is fun and and fresh for me then I hope that it will be fun and fresh for the audience.
0: Petula Clark since 2012 she's lived for most of the year in Geneva in Switzerland she also has a holiday chalet in the French Alps where she likes to ski amazing lady Incidentally, I spent some very happy times in France myself. My parents moved to Paris when I was still a teenager and they had this really lovely apartment not far from the Champs-Elysees. And I spent a wonderful 18th birthday at the Lido, a famous cabaret club where the likes of Laurel and Hardy, Marlena Dietrich and Maurice Chevalier all performed. Amazing place, amazing show as well. Now, next week, you'll be hearing from another musical great, Alan Price, who was the original keyboardist with The Animals. It was strange to play in front of uh, 20,000, 50,000, people because, really, the the audience were the event and you weren't. Yeah. You were just providing the, uh, the, the the background music to it, <laughs> And uh, they, they never really looked on you as human beings. I remember being attacked by fans. And I remember they tore the bass player's hair out, they ripped the suits, <laughs> and uh, they'd run out... They'd bought all the jelly babies up for the, for the Beatles and they'd thrown them. So we, we got acid sweets in the end. And if you've been hit by an acid sweet from the balcony, it can really hurt. That's Alan Price. And there'll be another guest as well next week on Tales from a Very Minor Celebrity.